Hey, what's up? Hey, friend, thanks for coming over tonight. It's a great night for a campfire. The fireflies are out in force this summer. They're so surreal, like God's little flying organic LEDs. Yeah, that's the bullfrogs down at the creek. They're out in force tonight after the nice summer shower we had today. I'm telling you, my friend, it's going to be a good one. Hey, this is Kenny Price. I'm with Guat Rocks, God the World, and Other Things. Our mission, Advancing Equilibrium in the Midst of an Agitated World. This is Season 7, Episode 147. The title, Beneath the Light of a Neon Moon. Subtitle, Rising Above an Abusive Childhood. Neon Moon is a song written by Ronnie Dunn and recorded by American country music duo Brooks and Dunn. It was released in February 1992 as the third single from their debut album, Brand New Man. The song became their third consecutive number one single on the country charts. Right now, there's a popular remix circulating on social media as the soundtrack to a dance challenge that showcases people merrily dancing to the catchy country song. The opening lyrics echo, When the sun goes down on my side of town, that lonesome feeling comes to my door and the whole world turns blue. There's a rundown bar across the railroad tracks. I got a table for two way in the back where I sit alone and think of losing you. I spend most every night beneath the light of a neon moon. Friend, I grew up under the light of a neon moon, and there's nothing merry about it. The first few years of my life were spent in Arlington, Texas. Arlington is located just about, as they say in Texas, smack dab in the middle between Dallas and Fort Worth. Before moving to Clinton, Maryland at the age of five, we lived on Susan Drive. Susan Drive was just south of East Abram Street, which going east from there, the name changes to West Jefferson Street, which in a few miles is then called Highway 180. When I was a little kid, Highway 180 was the main drag between Dallas and Fort Worth. Now there are a multiple number of superhighways that connect the two cities. The important thing to remember here in the story is that just two miles east on Abrams, right about where it turns into West Jefferson, is the county line. When I was a little kid, Arlington was a dry city, meaning you couldn't purchase alcohol within the city limits. So all of the beer joints were huddled together at the county line on Highway 180. Our street was conveniently located a stone's throw away from all the beer joints. The summer after fourth grade, our family moved back from Clinton, Maryland, and for a year lived on Paula Drive in Arlington, about five miles west of Highway 80 and the Dallas County line. Perhaps you yourself know firsthand the emotions and feeling of dread of being a child of an alcoholic father that accompanied any trip in the car that included a pass through a strip, as we called it in Texas, which is a road with a series of beer joints lined down the street door to door, or the package store, as my father called the liquor stores. Along with the beer joint strip at the county line was a heavy industrial area that had a lot of laborers who worked around the clock, which meant the beer joints had customers pretty much around the clock. For alcohol drinkers, quitting time is drinking time. One night when I was in the fifth grade, my father and I were headed home and just happened to be on Highway 180, Jefferson Street, and my dad pulled off the road into the parking lot of a beer joint. For those of you from other cultures, a beer joint is a windowless place, so regardless of time of day, it is always night. It sells alcohol, sometimes food, normally a lot of smoking. This is before vaping, so people smoked. And if you're lucky, a live band. If no band, then usually you could count on a jukebox. For those of you listeners in England, you might refer to it as a pub, but that would be an insult to the British pub. Beer joints are the place you go to get drunk, chase women, and get into fights. Anyway, I asked my dad, what are we doing? 
I knew what we were doing, but it was a non-combative way of making my dread known. He said he was just going to run in and get him a cool one, i.e. a beer. He said I could wait in the car, that he would be right back. We were parked right in front of the door under a neon beer sign, i.e. a neon moon. Side note, real neon is an expensive form of signage, so when you see all the neon signs promoting all the loggers in your local restaurant or sports bar, you can see just how much money the alcohol sales generate. That's why alcohol distributors are willing to pass out the signs for free. The longer I sat there, the sleepier I became. Finally, I crawled over to the back seat and laid down. I woke up and was getting up to get ready for school, and I realized I was still in the back seat of the car. I couldn't believe it. So much for a quick cool one. Fast forward, junior high. My dad was sent to Hannibal, Missouri on a tech assignment. He invited me to come up to Hannibal to see the hometown of famous American author Mark Twain, author of Tom Sawyer and Huckleberry Finn, novels about life on the Mississippi River. As an avid reader, I was excited to go see the town. Plus, I was going to be able to stay in a Holiday Inn with a swimming pool. My dad told me to bring my swimsuit and we would go swimming. I enjoyed seeing the town and was just as excited to go swimming at the hotel with my dad. This is something we had never done together. I put on my swimsuit, but he didn't change clothes. I asked him, aren't you going to put on your swimsuit? He gave me some answer like, I forgot my swimsuit, but he said we could go out and I could go swimming. The sun was going down when we got to the pool. There was one other couple in the pool, no kids, and no one else even sitting around the pool in the lounge chairs. My father sat on the end of a chase lounge chair for just a moment and watched me swim. He then got up and said that he would be right back. He left me there with a couple. They eventually left, which left me in the pool alone by myself in the dark. I stayed in the water for quite a while with my fingers shriveling from being too long in the water, and I was cold. I kept watching for the door that entered into the lobby, waiting to see my dad. He never came back. I didn't have a room key. I didn't even know what room or room number was. Finally, I got out of the pool, got my towel, and went into the lobby. The guy at the front desk started barking at me that I had to get out of the lobby, that I was wet, and I was getting the floor wet. I was on the verge of crying, but mustered the strength to push back on him and barked back that I was left out at the pool by my dad and that I was looking for him. For some reason, I thought to ask him if he had a bar. He said yes and pointed to the solid door just to his right and said, right there. I asked him if I could go in to check and see if my dad was in there. He said, kids can't go in the bar, and besides, you're soaking wet. You need to get out of the lobby. I asked him if there was any way he could go into the bar and see if my dad was there. He picked up the phone and asked me what my dad's name is. I told him Jim Price. He asked if there was a Jim Price in the bar. Then he handed me the phone. I said, hello? I heard my dad answer back with a big question mark in his voice. Kenny? I said, yes. He asked, where are you? I said, I'm out in the lobby. He asked, what are you doing out in the lobby? I said, because it's dark outside and I'm cold in the pool and there's nobody outside and you never came back. I told him he needed to come back outside. He told me, go wait outside and I'll be there in a minute. I went back outside and we went to the room. It was the first time I ever confronted my dad about his drinking and why things always had to be like this. A big black cloud over every event and time together. By this time, I was really crying hard, and I asked him, why can't you be like other boys' fathers? I had friends who had dads who did things with them and acted like they really cared. I called a couple of my friends by name. He just gave me a pass and made an excuse. Well, Kenny, I'm not like other kids' dads. He didn't explain why. Hey, friend, a drunk owes nobody any explanation. They are the masters of their own sorry destinies, regardless of who it hurts, mentally, emotionally, or physically. 
I can tell you, as a minister of the gospel for 45 years, stories of great sadness regarding people who died at the hands of a drunk behind the steering wheel of a car, mentally, emotional, and physical pain and hurt. Fast forward, I'm an older teen. I walk into the house to find my dad sitting at the kitchen table with one of his alcoholic bum friends named Ed. Ed was an alcoholic leech, one of the worst of my dad's drinking buddies. They both were in the process of openly saying derogatory things to my mother and didn't stop when I entered the house. I was shocked to hear Ed say terrible things about my mother right in front of her, to her face. She was smarting back, but it was so over the top and made me really angry. It was cruel to watch, and my dad sat by sadistically with a drunken smirk on his face, watching it all go down. I told my dad, oh yeah, you're a big man watching your bum friend sit there and make fun of my mom. He jumped up from his chair and ran after me, and I darted into my room, and he came in after me. I laid back on the bed, and he came in my room over me and punched me in the forehead as hard as he could with his fist. My mother was standing behind him yelling, stop, Jimmy, you're going to kill him. My father, like a raging bull, pulled back off of me and threatened me if I ever spoke to him like that again. Abandonment, turmoil, physical abuse, humiliation, no care, or real expressions of love. All are standard fare for the kid who grows up in an alcoholic home. These three stories are just a few of the decades of abuse I endured living with an alcoholic, narcissistic father. Friend, I want you to understand where I'm coming from. I want you to understand my heartbeat. The stories that I've shared with you, and they're just a few of decades worth of abuse, are not to glorify the abandonment, the turmoil, the abuse. It's not to defame my father, who, as I've shared in podcasts previously, came to the Lord just two weeks before he passed away. But friend, I'm sharing this with you for several reasons. And first of all, I hope you don't have any stories like this from your past. But with the rampant problem of alcohol and drug abuse in our country, there's a high percentage possibility that you do. And friend, if you do, if you can associate with the stories that I've told you, if you've suffered abuse, you're not alone. And I want you to know that. But also to know this, the abuse does not have to define you or dictate your future. By God's grace, he preserved and he sustained me through the sadness of growing up with an alcoholic, narcissistic father. And I was able to get on the other side of the abuse and choose by the power of God to be different. And the abuse did not tank me mentally or emotionally. The abuse I lived in is heavily damaging. But I am a living testimony that you do not have to live in continued sadness, damage, or at the worst, succumb to post-traumatic stress disorder. I want you to hear me. Hear me. If you have been diagnosed with PTSD, you do not have to live the rest of your life damaged. And friend, I'm speaking as someone who absolutely went through all the garbage that creates PTSD. PTSD is a clinical diagnosis based on evaluative questions and behavioral observations by a clinical psychologist or psychiatrist. But it does not have to be your condition and story for the rest of your life. You can be set free from the damage. I fully understand that every human is different and are impacted differently by the same damaging events. But friend, I am here today to tell you that there is hope. My wife and I stumbled across a neat little arts and crafts show after a nice concert that we enjoyed at a restored historic theater in downtown Grapevine, Texas. The art show was in a room in the building adjacent to the theater. In the midst of the varying qualities of arts and crafts, my wife and I found a true master artist. The young woman's art was amazing, so much so that I always remembered her and planned to buy some of her original art to give as a gift to my granddaughter. 
The artist was an amazing illustrator-style artist, reminiscent of the artwork in the original Disney animated movie, 101 Dalmatians. I took her business card that night and determined to hold on to it for future reference. Her art wasn't cheap, but it was more than worth her asking price. I just didn't have the money to make the purchase that night, so I held on to the card. But I eventually lost the card and couldn't remember her name. Several years later now, I found her card and immediately looked online to see if she was still active. I had a hard time finding her. I came across a woman by the same name on Etsy, but her looks had changed, and the art had drastically changed. Gone were the beautiful paintings. After studying the artwork closely, I determined it was the same artist. On some of her Polaroid pictures that were a part of her new art, I saw snippets of what appeared to be her earlier works. I then migrated to her website, where she mentioned that she suffered from PTSD. She didn't tell what had happened to her, only that she was now battling PTSD. The PTSD had to have developed due to something that occurred to her after the night that I saw her in Grapevine. I reached out to her through her Etsy page, asking her what had happened to her, that her art had taken such a drastic twist. She eventually answered me back, which I was really surprised, and she was very kind and appreciative of my love for her art. She did point out that it was not usual for someone to ask someone with PTSD deeper questions about it, so I responded back to her to let her know that I was here to help and gave her my contact info. My heart broke to see what the trauma she had experienced had done to her. As a minister of the gospel, I was hoping to have a conversation with her, to give her hope to be healed, recovered. She did say that she hoped to get to a point to speak more openly about things to help others like herself. Friend, through the power of God, you can be healed of your mental distress as a result of past life abuse, including the most damaging effects of abuse, PTSD. Reading the Bible is always the first place to start, especially the Psalms that reminds us of God's great love for us. A Bible-based Christian counselor would also be a good potentially healing resource to engage. And friend, I remind you, it needs to be a true Bible-based Christian counselor not just a Christian counselor. There's a world of difference. In the end, I share this with you. To rise up against the abuse of alcoholism, molestation, or any other situation, you have to come to a place by God's power where you choose to let go. You die to it. You die to the abuse, where the abuse no longer has control over your mind and your life. That doesn't mean you won't have the memories. The memories are real. And you don't need to apologize to anyone that you remember the abuse. But to forgive someone of the wrong you suffered at their hands does not mean you don't remember. To forgive does not mean you're obligated to engage or re-engage the person as if nothing ever happened. Sometimes, separation from someone you were severely abused by is a byproduct of their sin that cannot be undone. To set someone free from your condemnation of them for the harm they caused you does not mean everything returns back to whatever a healthy normal would look like. The damage the abuser has done sometimes destroys the earthly relationships. We are human, and sometimes the damage they have wrought so damages a relationship that they have forfeited any right to it, regardless of blood connection to you. Side note, if you grew up in an alcoholic home, and even if you have a living relationship with Jesus, there can be a possibility that you now suffer from alcohol substance abuse and addiction yourself, and perhaps even perpetuating the sadness you once experienced as a kid, now in your family or with work associates or subordinates who are under your care. I can tell you, friend, nothing is worse as an employee than to go to work in the morning to a hungover alcoholic boss. It wasn't until the end of my father's life that I found out an alcoholic always wakes up to a hangover 
after getting drunk the night before. I thought my father was such a chronic drinker that he didn't wake up anymore to a hangover, that he had somehow built up an immunity to it. My dad actually laughed and said, are you kidding me? I asked him, you mean to tell me you still get hungover? This is at the age of 78. He said, every day. Since I have thanked the Lord never drank alcohol or been intoxicated, I don't know the symptoms and feelings of a hangover. I did know that my dad was irritable a lot. Typical symptoms include fatigue, weakness, thirst, headache, muscle aches, nausea, stomach pain, vertigo, sensitivity to light and sound, anxiety, irritability, sweating, and increased blood pressure. Friend, no wonder we have such turmoil and heartache and abuse in the workplace and in the home especially for someone who wakes up in this condition every morning after they've been intoxicated or stoned. If you have turned to alcohol or drugs in reaction to your distress or just because, Scripture points to the fact that Jesus wants better for His children. If you belong to Him, He can heal you of the abuse and give you a vibrant life out from under the cloud of abuse. The people around you deserve the best you can be, someone who is clear-minded and empowered by the Holy Spirit to have a heart of thanksgiving, grace, Enjoy in spite of what you've been through. Friend, I want to encourage you to be sensitive to those who are around you. Many of the people that you come in contact with are wounded children in adult bodies. They need a friend and they need Jesus. May you be salt and light to them and an ambassador of the love of God that is manifested through our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And with that, my friend, I bid you peace.